0: Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God given potential. And uh, this morning we are starting a brand new series. And uh, as we were planning for the end of the year and thinking about what we should talk about, uh, I came up with this really novel idea. It's Christmas, it's Christmas season. So let's talk about Christ. You know, how, how amazing! Like, so original, hey. It was like, hey, is Decem- I don't think any other church is doing this. I think it's just us. I think we, we, we chanced on this idea, hey, the word Christ is in Christmas. Let's talk about him. Um, but honestly, it was a bit of fun. But honestly, one of the things I realized about myself is that I carry so much cultural baggage. I carry so many cultural understandings and expectations of Jesus and who He is, what He does, and also what He expects from me. And, and quite often, we lose sight of the real Jesus and a real God, because of all of these things, our experiences inform us sometimes way more than the Bible does. And so over these next four weeks, we want to come back to some key aspects of who God is, of who Jesus is, what he said, what he did. We're calling it, did Jesus really say that? And next week, um, uh, is going to be great. Beck is going to be talking about, did Jesus really say, if you love me, go to church every week and pray three times a day? So um, did Jesus really say that? I don't know, you need to come next week to find out. But we want to talk about, yeah, what what is Jesus wanting from us? Why do we meet every single Sunday? Isn't it like this really big sacrifice, especially in today's culture, a lot of people are working six days a week, and uh, Sunday is kind of your only day off, or there's all kinds of sports that are are on for your kids, or on the telly for yourself, if you have gone way past your prime and you can't play sports anymore, at least you can participate by shouting at the screen. I don't know what it's like, I love a Sunday, Arvo, watching the Eagles flog the doctor. It's it's a standard Sunday practice. It needs to be done. I understand it. But what's this church thing all about? Why do we need to be here? What what, what benefit do we get from it? So, Beck will be talking about that next week. But today, today we talk about, um, did Jesus really say, I'll accept you, but only if you change. I'll accept you, but only if you change. Did Jesus really say that? Growing up, I I grew up in Singapore, first 15 years of my life, um, I identified as Singaporean, now I identify as uh, Australian, I have um, got my Australian passport and and all of that, so but the first 15 years of my life, which were the formative years of any person's life, I grew up in Singapore and I guess you could say that the churches that I was involved with, we we were part of two different churches at different times over the 15 years that I was there. You could consider them somewhat traditional churches. And um, in Singapore, you don't question leaders. You you kind of just take it as it is, and so I didn't really know the expectations and the cultural uh, understanding that I brought with me. I didn't I didn't see it at all. I didn't understand it. It was just truth. It was his life, and and for most part, I think it was very healthy. Uh, for most part, I, I I can look back and see that a lot of things that I grew up with in Singapore um, uh, have stood with me and have helped me through my life and have really gave, given me a foundation. Uh, for my walk with Jesus, but I also now understand that there was a certain slant, a certain bias towards a, a, a way of living out our Christianity that, that I carried with me and influenced the way that I saw Jesus. To give you an example, I remember I was about 14, um, 15, and there was a guy who had just come to our church, fresh out of the gangs, fresh out of a really difficult um, upbringing, and he was only 15, but he already had a lot of experience in in many different ways, and and he came to church, and he found Jesus, loved Jesus, gave his heart to God, and it was fantastic, and I remember there was one time, I think it was probably about three to six months after he had uh, said that he was a Christian, We, we were sitting down somewhere, and we were chatting. And I remember um, talking to him about the kind of music that he listened to. Because he, uh, this was a long time, well not that long ago, but kind of long ago where Metallica was like in his prime kind of a thing. And so uh, he loved uh, Metallica, he loved playing music, he loved guitar, and he was all about, he was all about Metallica. And I remember sitting with him and I, was, I remember saying something along the lines of, Listening to Metallica opens the door for the devil to enter into your life. And I remember um, telling him that if he wanted to have a good relationship with Jesus, he needed to stop listening to Metallica and needed to start listening to, well, back in the day, Vineyard. Vineyard was like the hot Christian band. Some of you are nodding because you're like, hmm, good old old Vineyard. Whereas some of you are like, who the heck are Vineyard? That sounds like a crap band. (laughs) And you wouldn't be wrong. Sorry, I did not say that. You need to scratch scratch that out. Just having a bit of fun. But you know, I, I remember living that kind of a life where you needed to have boundaries around boundaries around boundaries in your life. Because our Christian walk needed to be guided by these boundaries. And that was the kind of Christian walk that I had. And and, uh, the grounding that I had for it, you can see it in Leviticus 19 verse 2. It says, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so so there was this expectation, there was this emphasis on learning how to live holy, which basically for us at that point in time meant that we live, try to be as perfect as possible. Uh, In fact, some translations do, do, do say, be perfect because I, the Lord your God, am perfect. And so we had this understanding that if I wasn't good enough, it would jeopardize my walk with God. It would completely put at risk my relationship with Jesus. That was the kind of mindset that I used to have. And um, the truth is there are good intentions with it. I do believe that as Christians we are meant to look and live differently uh, to to what people in the world might be doing. And uh, I'll explain why a little bit later. But... but, um, you know, it, we had good intentions. We wanted people to have good relationship with Jesus. But little did I see in myself that that kind of perspective about needing to be perfect all the time put a serious amount of pressure upon my internal world. And I could see that I was often carrying shame, guilt, doubt, and frustration Because I did not know whether my relationship with Jesus was good enough or not. I didn't know if I was good enough or not. Had I changed enough? Had I earned God's acceptance for me enough? Those were the kind of questions that I often had. And what I used to do, and I wouldn't doubt that some other people did as well, was that I started to teach other people the kind of boundaries they needed because somehow putting someone else down made me feel like I was doing okay. I don't know if that's the kind of person that you can identify with and maybe you think that I'm a terrible human being but for me really it was just about the fact that I didn't know whether I was good enough for God and I needed some way to earn brownie points and teaching someone else that they weren't good enough somehow was a lot easier than trying to be perfect all the time. And so that was the kind of perspective that I had for many years of my life and um, it, 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 it made God seem really difficult to relate to. And I don't know about you, but I used to think that hearing from God was going to be difficult. I used to think that knowing that God loved and accepted me was something that I would never, ever mm-hmm. be able to understand, be able to hold, be able to be confident about. And um, it took me a long time. In fact, it was only about ten plus years ago. Um, I, I went to Center Point Church; they had just planted, and and I became a staff member after the first year. And uh, I started to work with a guy who I love. He is. Uh, he was my youth pastor. He's a close mate. His name is Dan Sheik. You might know him. You might have heard of him. He now leads a church in Leaderville called Heart for the City. And um, and he came from a really rough background himself. He did drugs, he did alcohol, he did violence, he did gangs. And, um, and when I first met him, we did not get along. You could not put two people together that were more different. There was an Asian nerd versus the guy who had lived it up for the first 20 plus years of his life, if you will. We we had nothing in common and I remember that because of certain things that ha- he had lived with there were certain ways of behaviours that were a bit strange and, and I remember that, uh, that quite often we would go out for lunch together because that's what staff members at the church do. That's what everyone does. You go out for lunch, you have a good yarn. But for the first year of our working relationship going out for lunch was Dan picking up uh, newspapers and me staring at him thinking that you said you wanted to do lunch and now you're having lunch at the newspapers and I'm having lunch by myself. That was a kind of, yeah, if you know Dan, you'll be like, yep. <laughs> But at the same time, over time, we started to grow uh, a friendship and um, a, a mutual respect. And um, because we were both part of the youth ministry, it was youth pastor, I was one of the team there, uh, we often would also have conversations about how we were leading people, uh, certain issues that people were faced with, and during these lunch times, we would pull things apart, we would kind of strategize how we would deal with certain situations. And I remember one conversation in particular I think it was talking about a certain, I think it was one of the leaders or or someone more mature. Um, So not just one of the youth, but someone a little bit more mature than that. And I I said something along the lines of, um, man, if that guy doesn't change, he's really going to, to get it. He's just not going to have a good relationship with God and, you know, the enemy is going to get into his life and all that kind of stuff. And, and basically a bit of a doom and gloom is a like turn or burn kind of scenario. That's what I was painting. And I remember Dan just turning and looking at me and, and I remember him just saying, Nate, do you really believe that? And then he, he said something that, I'll just tell you what he said. He said, where in the Bible does it say that? And I was angry. I wanted to pull out from my back pocket my silver medal from the Bible quiz that we used to do in Singapore. <laughs> and, like, talk to me about reading the Bible. I got a like, silver medal. I know who's the oldest person in the Bible. I, how dare you? But by the time we had grown close enough for me to know that Dan was a straight shooter and he was getting into an area of my life that I didn't really know how to respond to. And so I started to quote v- verses like Leviticus 19 verse 2. And there's another verse in Deuteronomy that says, this day I put before you life and death, so, ch- so choose life. And, and maybe if you've grown up in church, you would know some of these verses. And you would know some of these groundings in the Bible. And... And and he said, do you really think that that that's how it works, so black and white? You either choose life, if not, you're going to be living in hell, basically. And then he said something else that I will never forget. He said, Nate, do you think that God's will is like a tightrope that you're walking on? And if you ever fail, slip, mess up, that God is waiting for you to mess up and to be there to tell you off? Do you think that God's will is a tightrope? And in that moment, I knew the answer was supposed to be no. But what Dan did for me in that moment was paint the exact picture that I was living by. He be, he, it was like he looked in my mind and went, Oh, so that's how you think about God. And he said, Tightrope. Using God's will is a tightrope, and and the honest truth is, I needed to say yes. I just kind of went, mm, you know, non-committal. Yes, no. Mm. <laughs> but it really got me thinking, and it really kind of shook me up because suddenly I was like, of course, no one wants to follow that God. Yeah. Who wants to follow a God who is ready to punish you, tell you of, let you know that He's disappointed in you whenever you mess up? That's a manipulative, that is a controlling, that is an oppressive relationship to be in. Of course you would not be in that kind of relationship. Of course you would flee from that kind of relationship. You would try to find another relationship where the person seems to accept you for who you are. And so I went on this journey, and I want to share with you some of my discoveries. This is from my life. These are the stuff that really helped shape and change me and and bring a bit of perspective uh, into who Jesus is compared to the cultural understanding that I was carrying with me. You ready to go for this journey? You want to know some discoveries that I made? One of the first things that I recognized is that I thought that having a relationship with Jesus was difficult to maintain. It was difficult to maintain. That was my understanding. Following Jesus is hard work. In particular, Matthew 7, 13 to 14, Jesus says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Have you ever heard of the phrase, staying on the straight and narrow? You know, we use it in culture, and it actually comes from a, a, this verse. It means you're trying to stay on the right path. And there is this understanding that we have, um, that we drew from this one passage, and we said, this is Jesus saying that following Him is hard. In fact, He goes on to say, a few verses later, in Matthew 7:21, He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but." Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Sounds pretty straightforward. That following Jesus, my relationship with Jesus, is predicated upon my performance, doesn't it? How I act, what I'm doing seems to really impact my relationship with Jesus. And whether he accepts me or not is dependent on whether I am staying on a straight and narrow But one of the things that we need to learn, and over the next few weeks, you'll probably start to see this as well, is that we often take one little passage from the Word of God, and then we build this picture of who He is. And the interesting thing is that the written Word of God was only accessible to us in in, in this kind of a format in the 1600s. It's only 400 years ago that the commoner could take one of these books and read the Word of God for themselves. Before then, quite often only uh, the priesthood would have the Word of God and, even, and before then, the Bible was actually a whole different bunch of scrolls and people would share these stories through the, the, the oral presentation. They were, they were storytellers. And one of the things that I realized about the Word of God is that it has no tone. We read tone into the Word of God. In fact, when you send a text message to any other person, you're reading tone into it. See, for a little while, my mom used to reply to every message with one letter. Y'all know it. K. Is that an angry K? K. Or is it a K? I don't know. But you know how I know what my mom's really saying is because I know my mom. And she can't be bothered writing more than one letter. Than we read tone into text messages because we know the person. And with Jesus, it's kind of interesting because it might be impossible for us to fully know the person of God who is and his character. And so sometimes we take this one passage and we go, ooh, why is Jesus so harsh? Why is Jesus acting in that way? Why, why would he talk like that? And what we need to do is that we need to be able to take Jesus and put Him in the context of the full Word of God, find a consistency the things that keep coming up that let us know that that is actually part of his character. And then when we look into passages that look a little bit difficult, that look a little bit hard to understand, and then we can understand, oh, that's why Jesus said that. And that's the journey that I needed to go on because people told me that, that my relationship with Jesus was going to be hard to maintain. Through the actions, not not directly like that, not in those words, but I had this understanding that my relationship with Jesus is hard to maintain. And so when I read that, I was like, there you go. Jesus is hard to deal with. He's manipulative, He's controlling, He's an oppressive master. But the more I began to challenge that mindset, and the more I began to read the rest of the Bible and go, let me know who you are, God. Let me know who you truly are. What is your heart behind all of this? I started to see that there's a very different side that, that needs to be understood before maybe what Jesus is trying to convey to us becomes a bit more into focus. So for example, I started to see that God's acceptance of people was actually not confined and limited to people's behavior. In fact, it says, we all know this, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, anyone who believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That doesn't sound like someone who only accepts you when you do the right thing. In fact, it says that the only thing that you need to do to accept to be accepted by Christ is to accept His love for yourself. The moment I believe in Christ is the moment that I am accepted by Christ. Jesus goes on to say, or the Bible goes on to say, And John 3, 17 to 18, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him, there we go again, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. God's intention was never to bring a standard of living that was beyond us. And guess what? Being perfect is a standard that is beyond me. In and of myself, Every single day, there are struggles, there are things in me that scare me, yes. and, and, and I know that I can't be perfect, and the more I try to be perfect, the more I try to act in a way that is acceptable to God at all times, the more I find myself frustrated, shamed, guilty, frustrated, did I already say that? But frustrated, so frustrated. Frustrated. But when I started to see that God's acceptance of me does not depend on my actions, but it depends on His actions, things started to change. See Romans 5, 8 to 9 says this, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since now we have been justified by His blood. how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? God's wrath is, is not that God wants to be angry with you. It's just a, uh, a, a thing where God, God's wrath is poured out on sin. It's just a natural if God wasn't angry at sin, he wouldn't be a perfect God. You know, just in the same way when you listen to the news and there are issues of pedophilia, of murder, of of things that are wrong, there's something in you that goes, oh, that's not right. The person shouldn't get away. It's because we were created with a morality that comes from God this code, this standard where sin is destructive, and we don't want it. And so God's wrath is poured out on sin. And and what happens is that Jesus died for us so that we are justified by His blood. We as Christians need to understand the word justified. Justified means that we are legally accepted by God. Legally made perfect in God's eyes so that we are not sinners and the wrath is coming upon us. Does that make sense? We are justified because God has made us just. I am just in God's eyes. My perfection doesn't come from my actions. My perfection comes from God's perfection that He gave to me. He made me perfect. That's what this passage is saying. And, and get this, it said that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. It wasn't when we started to realize that we needed to change and we actually did something about it, that Christ died for us. Christ, you know what? Christ died 2,000 years ago. I don't think any of you were alive back then. I don't think so. Correct me if I'm wrong. Any dinosaurs here? We weren't alive when Christ died for us, but the thing that we need to understand is that God lives outside of time, and He could see the start, the middle, and the end of your life. I started to realize that God knew everything that I was going to do, that I am going to do, before I even do it. He knows it not in the sense that He controls it. He knows it in the sense that He can see it. (laughs) He lives outside of time. And this is the thing, right? When it says, while we were still sinners, it says that when God could see the amount of sin, when He could see the destructiveness and the corruption that you are living out, He said, I'm still going to die for you. And so you know what? If I didn't earn God's acceptance, how can I I push it away? How can I make God unaccept me? If God's love was strong enough to love me when I was unlovable, then I don't think anything I can do can ever change that. And so when we say, when we think that God only accepts us when we change, when we become perfect, we are actually watering down the love of God for us. We're actually saying, no, God, I I still need to earn your love. I still need to make myself right. But we need to understand that God loves us before we do anything to accept that love. One thing that we need to realize as Christians, comes in Romans 8 verse 1. You see, I'm giving you a whole bunch of Bible today because I need you to see that there's a larger context that explains Jesus' words and Jesus' actions that are sometimes a little bit hard to understand. But Romans 8 verse 1 says, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, I. I looked back at my first 20 plus years of my life and I recognized that I was living under condemnation. I was living under constant condemnation. And then when I started to understand that God says I'm not condemned in His eyes, I started to ask myself, where does this condemnation come from? Do you know where condemnation comes from? It actually comes from Satan. Satan, his name in the Bible, when you understand it, it, he's the accuser of the brethren. That's what his name means. That is what he does. He comes and he accuses. So whenever you feel like you are down on yourself, whenever you, you feel like you're, being, you're playing this, this video clip of all the things that you've done wrong in your life, that's not God speaking to you. There's the enemy trying to help you, help you to see how broken you are. But then I come to Romans 8 verse 1 for myself and I go, Oh my gosh, I don't need to play that tape. In fact, the Bible tells me that when we accept Jesus into my life, He removes my sin as far as the east is from the west. It, it, it's removed so far away from me that when God looks at me, it's not even in His periphery. It's not even kind of like, I'm going to store it over there so that if you stuff up again, I'm going to remind you about it. No, it's removed so far away that when He looks at you, He doesn't see it. He doesn't see that you're a broken person. He doesn't see you as someone who is unlovable, who is wretched, who is not getting life right. How does he see us? Romans 8, 14 and 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, which is what I was in. I was still in fear of whether God accepted me or not. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His suffering, in order that we may also share in His glory. When God sees you, He doesn't see a broken, sinful person. He sees son and he sees his daughter. A real turning point for my life was when I started to look into this idea of adoption. It was when I started to see that God adopted me. And probably the easiest way I can convey what this means to me is through a conversation that I had with a man who was adopted. It was a man who was adopted, and um, he knew that he was adopted, and he went to primary school. Um, And kids can be a little bit cruel sometimes. They can shoot off their mouth before they even understand what it means, and and they started to tease him about how he was an adopted kid. He started to say, you're adopted, no one wanted you, and all that kind of stuff. And so he went on crying to his parents, and um, he shared with me what his parents told him. He said, next time those kids come to you, you tell them, your parents couldn't choose you, but my parents could. Your parents had no choice in having you. you. You were kind of there, and then you were there. <laughs> even even your ugly and a little devil, they had no choice. They were attached to you by blood. But with adoption, is a whole other situation. With adoption, there is a possibility of choice. And so when I started understanding, God chose me. Oh, you need do you hear that? God chose you. God chose you. And nothing I can do can cause God to unchoose me. Nothing I can do can make me any more unworthy than when I was still a sinner and he still chose me. And when we go about our life trying to make God choose you, can you see how stupid it is? Can you see how it doesn't work? Imagine you adopt a child and the child says, no, 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 10 years later, when I earn enough millions, then I will buy your parentship. It doesn't work that way. He said, no, you're already my child. And it hurts as a parent when your child is saying, I need to earn your love. It hurts as a parent when you realize that your child looks at your love and he says, I'm not worthy. I, I don't know if I can deserve this. But so many of us live that kind of relationship with God where we're trying to earn God's acceptance. How, how, does, how does that work? How does that even compute? How is that supposed to be? God's acceptance of us has very little to do with who I am. Sorry, it has everything to do with who I am. It has very little to do with what I do. It has everything to do with who God says I am. I love that when we are adopted, God didn't say, still your second rate. Right. God actually says, you are co-heirs with Christ, We're yeah, put in the same line as Jesus. Yeah, do you know that when Jesus died for you, He could have initiated a sibling rivalry? <laughs> a biggest sibling rivalry, six billion people. Oh my gosh. We're gonna have to split God's inheritance six billion ways? How is this gonna work? If I was Jesus, I, you're, you're so lucky I'm not Jesus. Because <laughs> I would be like, no, 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 maybe three. Okay, four. Not six billion. Nowhere near that. But Jesus loved us, gave his life for us so that we could be justified with God made to be co-heirs with Christ. If that doesn't blow your mind, this is not sinking in. You're still on that tightrope. You're still on that freaking tightrope, thinking about the next time God's going to hit you with a lightning bolt because you fail. Guess what? You're going to fail today. You're going to fail tomorrow. You're going to fail the day after. We're never going to be perfect. But God still accepts us God still calls us His sons and daughters, and He puts something in us that is actually crying out for a Father's love, a proper Father's love. And it's something I realized talking with a lot of people is that the image of who God is as Father is tarnished, unfortunately, by the earthly representation of Him. And I don't know where you're at, I don't know what you've gone through. I've been blessed to have a dad who really tried really hard to, to show me God's love and God's provision and in so many ways, but I know that not everyone has had that. And sometimes your cultural baggage when you come to God comes, comes because of your experiences with your dad. Can I just say to you, God's not your earthly dad. He's your heavenly dad. He treats you differently. He accepts you in a more whole way words can't even begin to describe what is going on but I think many of us are going through life thinking about how I can find acceptance and value and love and really God's there and he's saying I'm giving that for free all you have to do is say that you need it say that you're ready to receive that See, that's the narrow gate. The narrow gate is not when you enter into eternity. See, that's what I used to think. I used to think that I'm all the way here, the narrow gate's over there, and there's a heck of a lot of road along the way. And there's so many chances for me to go astray. No, no, the narrow gate is the moment that I accept Jesus into my life. It's right in front of me, and that moment was that Jesus was saying, do you accept my love for you? And I say, yes, gate open. Suddenly I'm not even on that path anymore. I've walked through the gate. The Bible says that the moment you walk through the gate, God opens up wide open spaces. Not a narrow path anymore. It says, I've walked through the gate. When Jesus was saying that that stuff about the gate is because, here's what I think, right? Many people stumble into gates The big gates, you're like, walk through. Oh, what? I was walking through a gate. Okay, cool. But the narrow gate is the one that you need to deliberately walk through. It's intentional. You need to actually come to that point in your life where you say, Jesus, I am willing to have you as my Lord and my Savior. Gate open, walk through. Some of us are living straddling either side of this gate, and you're kind of living out there and here, and you're like, God, accept me. So walk through. Why are you still in the doorway? You go to someone's house and you say, we're going to have an amazing Christmas party, but then you're kind of still at that doorway. So I don't know if I brought enough food for you. And it's like, come on in. We've got plenty. We've got more than enough. We don't need more of your food. But you're still standing in the doorway and you're like, oh. I'm wondering if that's how many of us live our Christian walks. We're still straddled at the gate when God's saying, I've opened up wide open spaces for your life. So where does change come into the picture? Where does our actions come into the picture? Our actions come into the picture not because it earns God's acceptance. It has everything to do with our maturity in God. The gate issue is behind us but we are now living learning how to live in these wide open spaces that god has given to us in hebrews 5 11 to 14 don't want to read the whole thing but it basically says this about this we have much to say skip for a little bit for though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the basic principles you need milk not solid food because you're still a child. This is something that the author of Hebrews wrote, and it helped me to understand that our walk with God is not about earning acceptance, it's about walking in maturity. Here's a way to think about it. If I get to a point where I'm standing before the gate and I say, Jesus, I need you in my life, it is because I have recognized that everything that I've done before this moment is not good enough. Yeah? Yeah? Understand so far? So far, everything that I've done has been meaningless, has led me to emptiness, has led me to a place where I'm still searching for something more. And if I've got to a place where I'm like, Jesus has everything more for me. And I say, yes, I accept you into my life as my Lord and my savior. God deals with the baggage and the issues of my past, but I still need to learn how to live in this new way that he has for me. If God has rescued me from my past, He's opening up a way for my future. The change is because if He has saved me from my past, He's not going to leave me in that past. If you are stuck in quicksand and someone saves you by literally pulling you out and then pushes you back in, is that saving you? No. In the same way, why do, we, why do we think that God saves us from our past, all the destruction of our past habits, of our old mindsets, of the way of living, and then says you can stay exactly the same? That's not a savior. That is some weird narcissistic savior mentality. I'm going to save you, put you back in, and then save you again and put you back in. Some of us relate to God as though we are still in a quicksand. Some of us relate to God as though... We still need saving. When God's like, I've already saved you. Yeah. Dust yourself off. Get rid of that quicksand. Because it's clinging to you. It's holding you back. But there is this new way of living that has already been opened to you because you have already walked through the narrow gate. When we your pastors or, or our leaders at this church come to you and talk to you about areas of change, it's not because we think that you are not worth it or you're not valuable. It's simply because we have started to see glimpses of who God has called you to be, who you can be, who God has opened your life up to be. You know, God's intimately involved in every single decision of your day. He loves you, He wants to be involved, He's he, 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 he seen the depth and the breadth of your life and He's like, I've got something so much better. So I don't go into pornography anymore because pornography is quicksand that brings me down. It's not because God doesn't love me and He's withholding something from me. He's actually saying you can't have porn and purity at the same time. Yes, so you know, if you've got anger issues and you say that's my personality, no, 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 that's quicksand. Yes, That's stuff that is holding you down. That is stuff that is holding you back from good relationships, healthy relationships. If you've got disappointment hanging over you and therefore you say, I'm a melancholy person, you know what? Let it go. Let it go. I'm an introvert by nature, but that doesn't mean that I have to be depressed. You know, we we allow sin labels in our life. To define us when God is saying you've walked through the narrow gate and therefore there's so much more and then we depend on people who are living in their quicksand to tell us how our lives are supposed to look like it's like come on i want to follow the one who has been living beyond that gate to show me the kind of life that i can have and so when we teach you about new mindsets, when we teach you about new ways of living, when we say uh, the things that might challenge you, it might be because you're not used to hearing it, but it's because it's teachings from the other side of the gate. And you know what? God has already given us all of those tools. It's all in the Word of God. Christians, it's not about teaching people how to have boundaries around their life so that they can have a good relationship with God. Is about showing that they are accepted, they are loved, and they're so much better for them. Yeah. It's about showing people that God has already loved you and He's already given you a way better life. And so if you've got a face like, that looks like you've just sucked on lemons and you tell them, purity is so good for you. I don't want that purity. It looks like sucks, literally. But if you say, you know what, purity is amazing. God has created you for so much more. You say you don't need your depression, mate. There's so much better for you. That's the kind of Christianity that I can live with. That's the kind of Christianity that I find in the Word of God. God's accepted me. God showed me value and worth even when I wasn't valuable or lovable. And he still chose me. And the life that I now live is because I've walked through the gate. I've walked through the gate i walk through the gate. This morning as we get the band up, maybe there's some people here that are at your gate. You've managed to somehow find this path that leads you to a gate. And at this gate is Jesus. And Jesus says, I've died on a cross for your sin. I have made available for you justification. I made available for you life. I know we say this nearly every week, but John 10 verse 10, Jesus said that I came that you can have more and better life, real and eternal life, wide open spaces, is on the other side of this gate and so this morning if you want to say that prayer that unlocks the gate and helps you to walk through I'd like you to say this prayer with me we don't need you to be shouting out loud any louder than any person else you just need to say this prayer and believe it in your heart I love that the Bible tells us that whoever confesses with their lips and believes in their heart that Jesus is their Lord and Savior that day salvation is theirs the gate opens up and so this morning can we just say that prayer together even Christians to say it so that we create this space where people can can feel safe can feel like they are able to say this prayer without anyone judging them no one's judging you no one's no one's wanting to condemn you here we just want as many people to walk through that gate as possible because that's what God wants So let's say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know that I need saving. So God, I look to you. Be my Lord and my Saviour. Come live in me and make me whole. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.